recap yesterday's episode, we introduced the podcast and ourselves a little bit. We added in a little sprinkle of our motherhood woes as of late, and I shared a huge chunk of my journey um, being a, uh, trying to pursue a successful recording uh, artist deal in Nashville, Tennessee. So we ended up talking about how I became a backup vocalist for Colt Ford, and I toured with him for about three and a half years. And through that experience, I landed a record deal in 2009 with AVJ Records, which is a sister label of Colt's label, Average Joe's Entertainment. Uh, But I want to talk a little bit more about Colt, because for anyone who doesn't know who he is, he is a rarity. What he's been able to accomplish as a country music artist and the obstacles he has overcome is astounding. Seriously, just Google him. He recently performed at the Grand Old Opry, where he was honored for reaching gold status for his album, Ride Through the Country, which I actually got to sing on with him. It was a song called Never Thought. That was the first song that we recorded together. And if you want to laugh, go to YouTube, search Colt Ford Chicken and Biscuits music video to see us parody the Twilight Saga. It's to this day, I still think it's funny, but maybe it was just because I know Colt and I was part of it. I played Bella. Did you have you seen? I have seen that video. Of course, I've seen the video. (laughs) Hilarious. It's crazy. So we kind of parody like I think I think just the first two movies. I don't. I think the first movie is just called Twilight and then the second one was New Moon or something like that. But but that it was, you know, 10 years ago, Twilight was huge. This so is going to shock you. What? I think I find it so funny because I've never seen Twilight. And you still find it funny? Yeah, but I think maybe that's why I find it funny. Oh, well, maybe. But, okay, so whether you know anything about Twilight or not, I guess it's pretty funny. So good to know. But yeah, if you have if you haven't seen it yet, just just do yourself a favor. It'll make you laugh if you're having a hard day. Hi, friends. I'm so excited you're here. Welcome to the Failing Awesomely podcast. I'm Lindsay Garcia, and I have a desire to share my stories of failure. Yes, failure in business, motherhood, relationships and while chasing big, big dreams. To say I've taken a lot of risks in my life would be an understatement. Here's the thing. In every failed attempt, there are multiple lessons to be learned. And coming out on top is not only possible, but I can almost guarantee it. Hey, if you fail, that's okay. Learn from it and turn it into something awesome. Yeah, that whole time in my life, it was just really great. I had a steady, good paying job as a musician. We toured all over the nation playing gigs that scaled from performing. I'm talking about, I remember one of the first gigs we ever played was on an 18 wheeler truck bed. And we were in the middle of a field, I believe in South Carolina. I don't know what city, but, or what town it was definitely wasn't like a big city. Um, just in the middle of a field, but the crowd was huge. I mean, Colt Ford has some loyal fans. And I think one of the main reasons he does is because he will do those kind of shows and then also open for big name acts doing huge arenas. So that was the kind of lifestyle we had on the road. When we when we got on the bus, we never knew if we were going to a mud bog, which if you've never been to a mud bog, <laughs> 
Uh, there is a huge pit of mud and people get in it, whether they're driving through with four wheelers or dirt bikes or anything you can imagine or literally swimming in mud. I mean, these people have been drinking all day and then they come to a Colt Ford show and I don't know how many times, probably at least every other mud bog we played because we've played many and I'm sure he's, I mean, this was years ago, so I'm sure he's played many more since then never failed about every other time somebody would get butt naked and and I'm trying to be up there performing for these people and someone's out there just being an idiot and naked and I'm like oh my gosh what what is this it was entertaining to say the least and then like I said the opposite of that we would do these huge arena shows with big name acts or like these big festivals that thousands and thousands and thousands of people would come out to and it would be catered and I mean you just got the best food you got like the royal treatment as musicians and then we'd go to these towns and like I'll never forget there was there's there's been a lot of different instances just in my three and a half years on the Colt Fort tour we were at a club and I I do not remember what city this was in. We were at a club and someone got stabbed. <laughs> like someone at some point pulled out a knife and stabbed someone. Yeah. I. Oh my. It was, what's really funny is a couple things that I, I'm going to bring up, this being one of them, luckily happened towards the end of our show. So it wasn't like the show got shut down and we couldn't perform. Right? I mean, Regardless, it was awful. You know, it was really bad. Well, but it's terrifying. Yeah. And then I remember we were in Mississippi. Don't know where in Mississippi, but we were somewhere somewhere in Mississippi playing a club. And luckily at this club, there weren't just bouncers. Like, there were cops at this club. Maybe that should tell you that stuff goes down in this part of Mississippi. But somebody's gun went off towards the end of our show. And luckily, no one got hurt. It was an accident. Like, it was someone who was carrying. And oh their gun went off towards the end of our show. But the thing that, that kind of stunk for the fans there was we didn't get to do an encore because the police shut it down. And they were like, nope, like, you're done. Like, you're done playing. Right. Like, we were performing, I think, our last song of the regular set. But we didn't get to do an encore or anything that day. So... Yeah, stuff like that would happen. And then we would go to like these wonderful resorts and sometimes sometimes we'd go to these really amazing casinos. Like there's this casino up in I, I think it's in Connecticut. Maybe it's in New York. I don't I'm pretty sure Mohegan Sun is the um is the casino and that place is really, really awesome. And we we would get to play places like that and huge arenas. And then I would get mud on me everywhere the next night. So <laughs> were you mud bogging? Um, I so like after the show was over, did you times. like hop in? No. See, sometimes we would participate during the day when people were slightly more sober, and we could then go to a hotel and shower and get ready for the show. So that was usually what we did. I didn't know you had a mud bogging past. Yeah. You know, I've, there's, there's a lot up my sleeve, girlfriend. (laughs) It was really fun. You know, we got to open for Jason Aldean, Luke Bryan, Hank Williams Jr., Jamie Johnson. Um, I'm drawing a blank, mostly because those were the guys that we regularly 
uh, toured with. We we toured with Larry the Cable Guy, which is kind of funny because he's a comedian. He's not a musician, but he kind of he's redneck. He is. He's redneck. He's very country, and he also kind of looked at. I think a lot of people at that time, because that was towards the beginning of Colt's career, didn't necessarily take him as seriously as a musician, but as a character and just an entertainer as a whole. So that's why, and I'm pretty sure at the time, um, Larry's booking agent was the same as Colt's. So they put us together for a few shows because they thought, well, Colt's a character, Larry the Cable Guy's character, you know, we're just going to put them up together, even though it's two totally separate things. But it worked. People loved it. People were really responsive. We went out to Vegas with him. I think um, that's kind of the best of both worlds, actually. It you was. get a good show and a good laugh all at the same time. Yes. And I got to meet some of the funniest comedians, because he would also have comedians come out and open for him, too. I've never, I mean, during, we I don't know how many shows we did with him. Probably, I mean, it had to have been less than 10. It wasn't that many, but I've never laughed so hard in my life than on that tour because after the shows, we would all just be hanging out. And those guys, I mean, they it never turns off. Like for a comedian, it never shuts off. And so it was just, it was a really fun time. But um, yeah, so that was my life touring and I can honestly say I genuinely loved every single second of it for the first three years I genuinely felt like I've got it made I've got it so good I have this steady job it is it pays well you know I have consistency in my life and on top of that a year after a year into touring with him I I signed a record deal so things were really looking up but a lot of that time also was spent with me when I was home not on the road trying to get co-writes trying to figure out okay um, when am I going to demo these songs when are we going to record these songs when are we going to choose from the songs that I've written or co-written what's going to go on the record and that was really up to me which I had zero problem with like I I really didn't I I was fine being the go-getter for myself because they gave me creative free reign so I felt like oh this is awesome I get I get to create this album on my own from the start in it from a creative standpoint and but I it was like because I was kind of on my own with all that then I had to fight for everything else I had to fight for recording time in the studio I had to fight for anything I wanted from the label and the problem was this was my family like these were people who I thought genuinely felt like they loved me just as much as I loved them. Like I was their little sister, you know, they were cheering me on. They wanted me to succeed, that kind of stuff. So to be consistently put on the back burner and kind of pushed to the side was hurtful. And I think that, and I, I want to say here, Colt wasn't a part of that. 
he had his own thing going on and they really wanted to make sure that Colt wasn't really involved with my record because they they just wanted Colt to be Colt and me to be Lindsay and us be, you know, working together on the road, but separate as far as being artists was concerned. Although Colt, out of anybody with the label, out of anybody with the organization, is who definitely helped me the most. I mean, he got you under his wing. Oh, I was. And he really did look at me like, that's my baby sister. Like, I care about her so much. Like, he really did feel I think he still feels that way about me because we're still really close. But he got me a co-write with Jonathan Kane from Journey. I mean, this guy wrote Don't Stop Believing and Faithfully. And I was and he was the most incredible person. I mean, he treated me like I was just as important as him. He invited me to his house. His wife made me tea. He took me up to his studio in his house, which was like lined with platinum journey records all leading to the studio. And I was like, my heart had dropped. And thank God I would have been way more nervous because usually in a co-write, you come in together with ideas, but like, it, it's all dry like you haven't really discussed much yet that's that's usual like that's that's how most co-writes go um sometimes you don't even really have that many ideas and you and you just kind of wing it when you're in a co-write um but and sorry my dogs sometimes are in the kitchen if you hear little pitter batters um but this time when I when I was scheduled to write with Jonathan Kane, he had emailed me and said, hey, give me any ideas you have. And I told him, I said, I'm not the greatest instrumental musician, but if I sent you vocals, would that work? And he, he said, yeah, if the pitch is right, it, it, that'll be fine. So I sent him this one idea that I kept ringing in my head because I thought I really want to write a power ballad and if I'm going to write a power ballad who better to write with than Jonathan Kane? so I, I sent him this idea and when I went into his studio he had had the entire thing composed already and he Get just started that's amazing yeah he just started playing it for me on the piano and I was like what is this life right now that I am in like I am in have I died like am I in heaven um it was really stinking cool so we wrote two songs that day and demoed them and um and then he played on my record he genuinely wanted to play on that track on the album and which still to this day blows my mind I can tell because you are like beaming from ear to ear still because it's an amazing experience to have I think so unbelievable I don't, I'm not really a braggy person, but that was pretty cool. And I haven't told that story in a really, really, really long time. So that's probably another reason why I'm like geeking out all over again that I got to do that and have that experience. And Colt was the person who set that up because he met Jonathan at CRS, which is an event in Nashville that happens every early spring. Um, not going to it's a radio seminar not going to get into all the details of that but he met him at the country radio seminar so um and asked if he would write with one of his artists and he's like yeah sure and that's how it happened it was so easy another 
really awesome thing that Colt did for me was he is great friends with Adrian Young, who is the drummer for No Doubt. And um, he asked Adrian if he would come to Nashville and play drums on a few of the tracks on the album. And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. So they flew him to Nashville and he spent a couple days there and tracked some songs. And it another guy who has had so much success. I mean, I'm a huge fan of No Doubt. I know what kind of success they've had. And he just no problem was like, yeah, I'll come play drums. That's like the perfect... I don't know. It's just this... You have a a big name person who's willing to go and work with someone who is just getting started. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, I mean... that That their character is so just kind enough to be like absolutely we're all musicians we're all artists and that's the thing that is the reason that this worked out is because they are humble people and I've I've come to learn the the reason that these happen was because Colt is so humble and Colt attracts other humble people in his life not always you know he's definitely gotten burned before but the people that he still stays connected to are humble, successful musicians. So it, it was just great for me to get to experience that. But the downside of everything is the business side of the entertainment industry. And that really set off something within me. Two years into having a record deal, I'm like, there's no direction. I don't, you know, we have the record the album pretty much done and we don't know what we're going to do with it yet and nobody is telling me what the next step is and I am fighting for it I finally got good management because at first they had me uh, paired up with somebody from their management company and that wasn't working out because she had the company's best interest and not mine. So I ended up going with a manager that I had known for years and um, really trusted him. And he did get things moving as much as he could, but he didn't, only he has so much power. Like you can't make a record label do anything. You can't make the CEO that even though I thought I was really close to him. I thought he cared about me. I can't make him care enough to make it a priority. And what ended up happening is it affected my attitude out on the road. And I will be very clear and vulnerable and honest in saying that. I became a little bit of a different person out on the road. I wasn't happy because although I really enjoyed singing and going out and performing, I had worked so hard to make my album and I was ready. Like I was seasoned. I had been out on the road. I know what it's like. I know what to do. I know how to be a good artist. Get me out there. Like let's start this thing. And I wasn't getting any answers. And I think that if Colts, if if I had signed to a completely separate label that was not at all associated to my gig with Colt Ford, I would have actually been so grateful for that gig in the moment because Colt would have been somebody who I could have come to and said, 
this is what's going on. Like, what do you think I should do? Like, I want your advice. Like, you're an artist too. Like, and you had to really fight for what you have, you know, like what, what advice do you have for me? What should I say to the label? What should I say to my management? How can I try to get this moving without coming off like a needy bee, you know? And that was another thing I was super scared of. I'm like, I want to be a squeaky wheel that gets the oil, but as a female, I don't want to be labeled as difficult or ungrateful because I was very grateful. You were just excited. Yeah, I was excited. I was ready to go. So, but because my label was associated to Colts, I knew that if I came on the road and vented to him, it would put him in the middle. And I knew that wasn't fair either. So, but what I, what I did wasn't, wasn't good because my attitude on the road, I mean, everybody could tell that I was no longer happy being out there. And it, it affected, it didn't affect my performance, I don't think, because I still went out there and gave it my all. But all the moments other than those two, two and a half hours of performing, I was kind of withdrawn from everyone. And that doesn't make being out on the road fun for anybody else. So in, I think it was June or July, I think it was June of 2011, I got let go from the gig. And it's, it was misconstrued for me though, because the CEO of the whole company called me and what he told me was, we're ready to, to launch your career now. So we're going to take you off the road with Colt. No one told me like, you're being let go because no one wants to be around you out on the road. He he kind of made it seem like, okay, now we're ready to launch your career, so we're going to take you off the road. So I I really was kind of ignorant to the fact that I had essentially been fired. Um and I've never admitted that. I mean, people that are close to me know that, but I've never outwardly admitted that as close as Colt and I were, I actually was fired from his gig. Um, And the reason what the straw that broke the camel's back in that situation was I went into a meeting with the CEO of the label and told him, look, I understand that maybe there's some questions that you feel like you can't answer right now, or there's some there's some dates you can't give me. There are some, you know, things in the works that aren't finalized. So you don't want to get my hopes up or something or what, what, for whatever the reason is, I'm okay with that. But I also want to start doing some things for me because where I'm getting frustrated is my life out on the road is all about being a musician in the Colt Ford band and I'm missing out on like big life events. Like I almost missed your past wedding, which obviously now you're divorced. So, but I I was able to go. I were there. I went because we happened, but that's only because we happened to have off that weekend. If we wouldn't have had off, I wouldn't have been able to go to your wedding because that's just how it was. And you sang at my wedding. I did. You did. At the reception, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, but my one of my good friends in Nashville was getting married, and I really wanted to be able to be there. So I told 
the CEO in, in a meeting that we had, and this was over a month prior to the date. I said, I'd really like to have off this weekend so that I can go to my friend's wedding. And he said, that's totally fine, but let me talk to Colt about it. Let me be the one to tell him that you're not going to be there one weekend. Because I don't know if he thought it would upset him or what. So I never said a word. And then he dropped the ball, meaning the CEO. And the only reason why I'm not saying his name is because I don't want to say the name of a person that I kind of not have bad blood with. Like I'm completely fine. I have forgiven him. Like it's, it's all good, but I'm obviously not talking extremely highly of him. So I don't want to mention his name, but he was supposed to talk to Colt and never did. So all of a sudden they're at bus call on the weekend that I'm not to be there and I'm not there. And from what I was told by other musicians in the band, Colt was ticked off, like really ticked off. So put together that with the fact that I had been a different person out on the road for months now, for almost half a year. And he was just like, okay, if she wants off the road that bad, then she's off the road. And that's the truth of what happened. But I think because our CEO knew he was the one that screwed up. Instead of defending me, he just said, oh, well, I'm just going to twist this around and tell Lindsay, now we're going to now you're going to be a focus and we're really going to get your career off the ground. So I was upset, but I had hope and I was a little confused, but I had hope. And I went another six months of nothing, not a dang thing that anybody did and it was so frustrating finally in the new year in early 2012 we had a meeting and I said look we've we've got to do something I'm not understanding what's going on here so we set up um, a showcase we set up photo shoots we set up a single release date Um, we had all these things in place but the only thing that happened was the showcase we did do a showcase um, so basically what a showcase is, is you invite um, a lot of people in the industry, musicians or label heads or radio DJs, um, management, booking agents, those kind of people. You invite them out to um, a, uh, a bar or, you know, some a club or some sort of place you're going to perform and um, put on a show for them. It's a quick show. It's usually like 30, 45 minute shows to showcase what you got to know what to expect from this person as an artist. So I did do that, but that was it. So in June of 2012, or I'm sorry, in May of 2012, um, I told my label I was done. I had backing up a little bit when I got let go from the Colt gig I had really started to try to consistently go back to church because I hadn't been and I can use the excuse all day long that it was because I was touring and I really wasn't home on Sundays but um, most churches have other things going on throughout the week so I definitely could have still been a practicing Christian you know what I mean like going and 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 hearing the word of God. And I wasn't, I just kind of 
pushed God aside and I was going back to church and I felt so heavy from nothing going on in my life and I felt so lost and I felt like why God like why have you let this go like why have you brought me this far and nothing has come out of it I mean is this it and I was at church one night and I honest to God do not remember what the pastor said but all of a sudden I just felt so heavy and I don't ever audibly hear God, but I think he puts something in our hearts when we are open to listen. And he told me, it's time to let go. I brought you this far for a reason. And it was because I knew that if you didn't experience it, you would live the rest of your life wondering what could have been. Now you know, and it's time to let go. And it was, and I just bawled. I mean, a bald, bald, bald in the middle of church. David and I were like not even a year into dating, and he was there with me, and I was just bawling my eyes out. And he had no clue what was going on, but I, I was like, okay, okay, God, like I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna listen to you. And I went in. I went into a meeting with this my management and the CEO, except Mr. CEO didn't show up to the meeting are you kidding mm-hmm. so and rarely did I was I super super bold in my actions I'm a lot more bold nowadays than I was back then but I told his assistant I said get him on the phone right now this is unacceptable I have something really important to talk about so we were in his office and he was just on the phone and I said Shannon what said his name well well who cares (laughs) I just said I'm I'm done I can't do this there is no there's no light at the end of this tunnel that I see clearly any promises made have been broken I just I can't do it anymore and we went back and forth a little bit um, but he, for the most part, completely understood. He, he could understand why I was frustrated. He could understand why I had gotten to that point. But it was also really disappointing because they had spent a lot of money on me. I mean, they, they spent a lot of money making that album. And now I have a question. Yeah. Did you, did you ever have hopes of going into that meeting and, and maybe this might be a very ignorant question because I don't know how this works. But There's did no you ever have hope to go into that meeting that they would like fight for you be like no 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 we're doing this and we're gonna get you a date you know and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have a date for the single release and we're gonna do all these things um if he would have done that would that have changed your mind or I don't know this might sound like a hippie thing to say but I think if I would have felt a genuine vibe like maybe this time he really is telling like the maybe truth. if he would have showed up yes see that's another <laughs> thing I kind of was really set in stone with my decision and even more on fire with the fact that he didn't even show up to that meeting so I, to feel the vibe of I promise we're gonna get you a date and I'm I'm gonna figure this out by the end of the week type of thing if he would have persisted that heavily with it I might have said 
if by Friday you don't have anything for me, I'm I'm done. Like maybe I would have said that. But he didn't really try to fight for me. I could tell he was really disappointed, but he always worked with the the data. He was always thinking of the numbers and the money and he was also a, a creative person as well, but in the later years of his career in the music industry, he was all about numbers and and the business side. So I'm sure his disappointment wasn't losing me, but we spent a lot of money on her. This stinks. Because in my contract, I could walk away anytime I wanted. So, well, not anytime I wanted, but they, they couldn't force me to keep going. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, and that was that. And I remember feeling a huge weight lift off my shoulders after I left that meeting. And it, it didn't mean it wasn't emotional. Like I was also extremely sad, but I felt like that heaviness went away. And that's how I knew I made the right decision. I was following what God wanted me to do and I did it. And I think, and I'm not superstitious. I don't, I don't believe, I don't fully, I should say, I don't fully believe in, well, the seven year itch, which you hear about. You mostly hear that with relationships, but oddly enough, so going back to when you and I on Mother's Day weekend were saw Kit Moore. We were in Philly seeing Kit Moore play. That Mother's Day was exactly seven years since I had that meeting. And I told my label, I'm done. And it's so strange that that was when I got that itch. Was exactly seven years from the date. So it's kind of crazy, but honestly, for the most part, I have, I've never regretted that decision. I love my life. I hate thinking of what I wouldn't have if I would have been in, stayed in the music industry. And I've actually learned something somewhat recently about myself. Have you heard of the Enneagram? Yes. Well, yes, because I told you to take a test. Yeah. I remember that now. So I recently, I've been hearing about the Enneagram. If you haven't heard I had heard a terrible it, guess at what I thought it was. <laughs> what? I thought it had something to do with something bodily. <laughs> I could see In that. In uncomfortable places. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. But no, the Enneagram is a, is a test. I'm, I don't know much about it. So I think it's a personality test and there's nine different personalities, if you will, um, that you can possibly be. And I've been hearing a lot about it lately. So I took a test and I am a two. And the things that I have learned about a two is that they always want to impress or help other people 
and they're slightly less concerned about themselves, like they will put themselves on the back burner, but that doesn't mean that they don't care about themselves. Like they have hope that other people will do the same thing for them. And they try to be like really grateful about the things that they're given in their life. And they kind of like take a back seat a lot. But then like if you, if you tick a two off, like watch out because they will be really ticked off at you, which is very true about me. And there are also things called wings. I don't, all I know is that your personality can shift from, um, like the only wings that I would possibly have are a one and a three because they are right beside a two personality. So I'm a hard wing three because a wing three is like a go-getter, somebody who who drives to be successful and somebody. So that was a huge part of my personality. But I honestly think that because my personality is truly of a two, I would have never, I would have not been able to make it in this business and I'm not saying that to like hold on to it as a crutch I genuinely think that my personality type and I don't even have to have taken the Enneagram to know this it just kind of opened my eyes to yep that kind of confirms that I, I really don't think I was cut out to be a successful musician for the rest of my life. I don't think I would have been happy. I don't think I would have been fulfilled. I would have gotten, if I would have gotten everything that I ever dreamed of, I would have been like, but I want a family, but I want this, but I want that. Like I I would have never been able to put that first and above anything else for the long haul. At least I did for many years. I mean, my career was number one. I pushed a lot of things aside but I wouldn't have been able to do that for very much longer. So I think I walked away when I was supposed to. But I don't know. What do you remember? Do you remember anything from that time of me like walking away from it all? And Well, from my perspective, well, first, I was, I was back home thousands of miles away living a totally different life, mm-hmm. having young kids, a newborn in 2007 and then again in 2009 and I remember thinking how amazing it was that you were getting all these experiences and you were going to all these places and you were doing all of these things I sat in a recliner feeding a baby (laughs) so which is so important it was amazing what you were doing thank you that said well and I also thought it was amazing that you just called me one day and said moving to Nashville Mm -hmm. and like I admired you because I I would have my personality type was like absolutely not I have too many questions and like well what about this and what about this and what about this and I would think too much about it so for someone to be able to just go and do was amazing to me that said I selfishly loved that you moved back (laughs) (laughs) which I get and understand um yeah I and I I did I I really did have peace with that and I was happy to be coming home knowing that we would live near each other again and all of that too and I would be with my family again and that was all very important to me um 
but I was lost for a long while. I mean, a good couple of years, I felt pretty lost because I did not have a plan B. <laughs> like I, I did not say, you know, oh, what if this doesn't work out? Which as a 33-year-old woman, I feel like, oh, that was a little dumb. But I was 18, 19 years old when I initially made the decision. And I genuinely have no regrets. And why did your mouth drop open? Because I said I had a kid in 2009 and I didn't. He was born in 2010. (laughs) I was going to correct you. What are you? Why would I say that? I forgot. I got the year wrong that my child was born. Nolan, I am so sorry. <gasps> he was born in 2010. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I wasn't about to correct you. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and correct her. Like, I don't even know. I just, and uh, <laughs> minutes later, that light bulb just went off. And I'm like. <laughs> it is all good. You, you know what? You were in a recliner, very sleep deprived at that time. So years can get jumbled up. You're fine. I do remember you coming. I remember you coming home when I had him Mm -hmm. to visit him. Yes. I remember that. And actually, what I remember that I thought was really cool, because there were, there were those moments of like, "Mm, that's my best friend. Just so you know. (laughs) That's my best friend. Um, I remember when you came home to Lancaster to do a show at the Chameleon. Yeah. And I'm like, that was in 2009, by the way. <laughs> and I'm like, not the year my child not was born. Not the year your child was born, the year before. But I remember like, this is so cool. Like, we're going to, I'm going to, to go see my friend's show. Well, especially because that was at the Chameleon Club mm-hmm. where you and I used to go to shows mm-hmm. when, you know, before I left. And, and now moved. I was watching you. Yeah. And there was this sense of like. Is it admiration? Adoration. There was a sense of something. <laughs> Pride, we'll just call it. I'm like, oh, that's my best friend. Like, I felt like all these people were he- like here to see you and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but I know her. Like, I know her as a person. So <laughs> I'm luckier than all of you. <laughs> well, because of your friendship, I was easily able to make it through a lot of hard times, both during my time in the industry and after, because I I was, I was so lost for a while and it took a toll on me. It took a toll on my marriage, which Maybe I'll get into in another episode because this is the Failing Awesomely podcast. So I probably should just be vulnerable about my stuff like I have pledged to be. Um, But it all got better because I have an amazing life. And that doesn't mean it's perfect all the time. I still fail daily, daily like we all do. You know, I mean, if there is a mom out there who does not fail... You're a liar. Please message us and we're going to tell you that we could never possibly be friends with you. (laughs) Exactly. I don't want to be friends with somebody who is like that. No. Um, But that is that 
that's the gist of my story. So I hope that anybody who's listening to this enjoyed hearing about it. It was very therapeutic for me, I have to say, to share it all over again, because I don't think I have shared it this in detail before. And I don't think I've been this vulnerable before in sharing it. So I know I'm sitting here with my mini, my best friend, just talking into a microphone. So it would it's it would be different, you know, knowing that other people are going to hear it eventually. But um, I'm I feel really good having just shared that. So I hope that you've enjoyed listening to it. If you have any questions, I might do a little side episode if anybody has any questions at all there's not a bad question there's not a question that I would steer away from unless you're gonna flat out be mean to me or something I don't know but if you have any questions I might do a small episode answering some of the questions and I can't wait next week we are talking about some motherhood fails with teenage boys and toddlers well because she has boys and I have boys that's why we say toddler boys and teenage boys but all kids really and you will get to hear the greatest idea I think Minnie has ever had so stay tuned for that